Welcome to the Financial Power Hour with the Financial Prosperity Coach, Christopher Music, who has been a featured guest on CBS, NBC, ABC, and Fox Affiliates, sharing his 20-plus years of experience in financial principles and how to apply them to your life and business. And now, your host, Christopher Music. Well, welcome to the Financial Power Hour here on AM 1380, The Biz. I'm your host, Christopher Music, the creator of Econologics, results-based financial planning, and the private practice millionaire. And I invite you to come find me on the web at www.pchristophermusic.com. Now, I put this show together to change the lives of small business owners and professionals who are in private practice. The way I see it, you all work way too hard to not have financial independence, or what I call actually something called financial power. Through this show, I will bring you priceless content and expert interviews that will empower you and educate you on the successful actions you need to take to achieve your business goals and reach your financial destiny. I have a very special guest today. His name is Dr. Mike Becker, and I'll be talking with him about what it takes to build a multi-million dollar healthcare practice and sell it successfully through his recent experience. You will not want to miss the content of this interview. I assure you, it is going to blow you away. But before we hear from Dr. Becker, I'd like to share my experience of building a business to sell and what I've seen work. Uh, Back in, in 2002, I had built a financial planning practice and I sold it to an associate for twice the average market value. Now, I had no idea what I was doing, but I did have a management system that I was using that prepared me and prepared my associate to be able to transfer that value in that business to him. And the funny thing was, is after about five years, we still had about a 96% retention rate of all the clients, which is really something that's not very common in the financial planning profession. Now, how do we do this? Well, there's an, there is exact things you do and exact things you don't do when you are in private practice, especially as regards to transferring that value to someone else. That's one of the issues that is never taught in veterinary school, dental school, or really in most private practice and most small businesses, is that uh, the, the place, the business is not a place just for you to go work every day. It is an asset of value that if you manage, like a professional investor would manage any investment, will have residual value, market value, to someone else who will be looking for an established, well-run practice or small business that they can then get a cash flow from that's predictable, relative to a small amount of risk. And the value of any business actually is that income stream uh, that can be derived from that business relative to risks perceived by the buyer. So all of you who own a small business, how many of you are really looking at it as an asset that you are creating to eventually transition out of or sell? Now, the truth of the matter is there's seven major ways that you can transition out of a business. You can sell it to an insider or to an outsider. You can gift it away. You can get. You can sell it to your employees. Uh, you can sell it to what's called a private equity group, which is a 
big pool of money of private investors. Or you can die with your boots on, as many people do, or close it down and just have liquidation value of whatever assets are remaining. Those are the major ways that businesses are transitioned or disposed of. It's entirely up to you how you want to proceed going forward in your professional or business life, uh, what result you want to attain. It's fascinating to me that you actually have in your power as a business owner the right to choose the buyer, the time frame, the price, and the terms of a business exit or transition or sale or whatever terminology that you want to use. Just like if you own AT&T stock, you can call the broker and say, hey, I want to sell this off, and they'll sell the AT&T stock. It's a little more complicated, but you have the determining factor over all those issues. So the secret is this. You are not building your business for you. You're building your business for someone else. And you're just a steward of that business while you're owning it, managing it, deriving the income from it, and preparing it to transition either according to plan or not according to plan. And that's this whole subject of transition planning, which is one thing that my firm does uh, that uh, is, a, is a new emerging subject called transition planning. Succession planning is what it's been also known as. It is the idea of maximizing the value of a small, closely held business and being able to transfer that value to someone else so that you can essentially create a lifetime pension stream out of the result. Uh, very critically important aspect of your financial plan. This is one thing, actually, that most financial advisors don't understand and don't take into, into the equation for your retirement as a small business owner. They basically say, well, you know, you have some mutual funds over here or you have some annuities over there and some life insurance and some savings and, and we're going to convert that to an income stream and these are the projections and so on. Well, the problem is uh, your business can create more income from, for you than anything else that you can get from the financial planning community. So this has to be central to your wealth building strategy and your financial plan. So I invite you to uh, contact us and take a look at how your business can be a major financial planning asset and give you a guaranteed lifetime income stream because you really, truly can have that happen. So we're going to interview a doctor who did just this. He built a veterinary practice and sold it for millions of dollars. And we're going to learn how he did it and what his viewpoints were that created such an incredible result. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. And up next, we're going to be talking with my special guest, Dr. Mike Becker, and what it takes to build a multi-million dollar healthcare practice and sell it successfully. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hi. 
Hi, this is Christopher Music, host of the Financial Power Hour and creator of the Private Practice Millionaire. I'm a veteran financial expert, best-selling author, and the founder of the subject of Econologics, which is a results-based financial planning system. After almost 20 years as a practicing financial advisor, I discovered that the missing ingredient in the prosperity of any household is the education and implementation of universally workable strategies. There are correct time-tested laws that have always worked, and I want to share them with you. In 2013, I penned a chapter in the best-selling book, More Better, the world's leading experts reveal how to get more out of business and life with better results. This chapter, called the 10 Maxims of the Private Practice Millionaire, is a summary of the most important actions to take to ensure success in private practice. Download the book free at www.pchristophermusic.com. That's www.pchristophermusic.com. Welcome back to the Financial Power Hour with Christopher Music, online at pchristophermusic.com. Well, welcome back. I'm your host, Christopher Music, and you're listening to the Financial Power Hour here on AM 1380, The Biz. Before the break, I shared with you my experience and viewpoint about the importance of building your practice to sell for a premium in the future. And now, as promised, I'd like to introduce you to my special guest, Dr. Mike Becker. Dr. Becker is originally from St. Louis, Missouri, and earned a Bachelor of Science degree in Agriculture and his doctorate in Veterinary Medicine from the University of Missouri at Columbia in 1983. Later, he moved to San Antonio, Texas, and worked at a local clinic for a couple of years and decided he enjoyed the friendliness of Texans so much that he established his own practice in February 1986. In 2007, he saw the need for expansion and broke ground on the new facility, which opened in December 2009. Dr. Bechter regularly attended vet conferences to further his veterinary skills and continued his education by getting specialized training in business administration and management. Earlier this year, he sold his practice for a premium and decided that he wants to help other healthcare practitioners achieve the same success through consultative services. I'm very pleased to welcome Dr. Mike Becker. Mike, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. So uh, let's start out by having you tell us a little more about yourself and what made you decide to become a veterinarian and go into, of all things, private practice. Well, um, I was from St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, I just basically uh, always had an interest in animals. I had a lot of affinity in animals and wildlife. And the thing that attracted me to veterinary medicine was that um, I could go to school, become a veterinarian, and after several years of experience, I could just open my own business. So I had uh, I had the situation where I could work with animals, which I really enjoyed, and I could uh, open my own practice. I always wanted to be a business owner, and that worked out very well. Well, that's awesome. Now, when you started your practice, what were the major challenges you faced within those first five years? Well, um, there were quite a few. Um, uh, I remember when I opened uh, in February 1986, and I made $66 my first day, uh, and I had one employee. And a young lady who was very helpful, and I think I had one employee for the first nine months and then gradually expanded from there. But the biggest thing was uh, probably handling multiple staff. Um, I could organize um, 
I could get basic things done, but uh, when we needed to expand into one, three, five, seven, nine staff, this is where I started running into trouble on how to handle the staff, how to organize them, and it was sort of run uh, with more of just a, a coping mechanism uh, rather than an organizational plan. And that's probably the biggest thing I ran into was how do I expand, how do I run the practice, and how do I beat the doctor all at the same time? And uh, it became apparent that uh, I was stretching the limits and doing this just myself without any type of a, of a, of a structured organizational plan. And that's when I, I really started to look around and ask myself, uh, what's available that uh, would help me out in this area? So what were some of the challenges that gave you the idea that you should try try to find a system? Because, you know, people listening to this this uh, show today are small business owners that are dealing with the same problems that I'm sure you dealt with. So, so give me some examples of some of the things that, that you knew were going to be a problem if you didn't fix them. Well, it was kind of interesting because uh, – uh, our practice, actually, uh, my, my, my little veterinary practice, and it was in a building that I rented, uh, went very, very well. Uh, we really didn't have a problem pulling in clients. I just worked long hours. We took no appointments. And um, uh, uh, I operated off a viewpoint that I was going to offer anything at any time for anyone. And uh, so we were open about 14 hours. Uh, well, we were open about 12 hours a day, always stayed a couple hours extra, no appointment necessary, just walk in. We'd never take an appointment. And, um, uh, but as we grew, and uh, uh, I just sort of handled things with my own organization, and as uh, uh, we, we acquired more staff, uh, it became apparent that if I was going to take this to another level, that I'm going to have to look around and, and find something uh, find someone who can help me and tap into a larger organization who can help me along. All right. So, well, let's just, let, let's look at that. So what did you do that saved your bacon? Well, I had, uh, what happened was I had received a couple of letters in the mail about come out here for training, come out here for organization. And a couple of my classmates in vet school, I recall, I had attended these, uh, a couple guys uh, that I thought highly of, so I gave him a call, and they said it was very helpful. So I went out, and I signed up, and uh, I put about, uh, I think I invested $13,500 right off the bat. But I figured it, I calculated it out. I go, you know, uh, working, uh, let's see, six days a week, I think I figured if I made $66 extra a day or something like that, that I would pay for this system. And my viewpoint was, you know what, no matter what this is costing me, all I need to do is make a small amount more per day. It's going to pay for itself, and very likely that much more. So to me, that was really the deciding factor because I thought, you know, I just don't see any way how some more organization uh, or and professional training uh, cannot help me uh, in a very, very big way. And it worked out great. So uh, I signed up. I jumped on a plane. Uh, went out to California, spent about uh, 10 days, two weeks. And uh, I do recall when I was out uh, in my program, I was reading various management policies and so forth. And uh, it was really indicating to me because I'd read these and I'd go, you know, I do this here and it works great. I know this. I know this policy. And I'd read another one. I'd go, you know, I don't do this. And this is the area that I always have trouble in, you know. 
and I can see this is what's going on right here. So for me, I just immediately, uh, it indicated that uh, uh, training myself uh, as a administrator, an organizer, a businessman, and, uh, you know, handling people, every aspect of it was the thing that was going to allow me to expand. So you didn't get any business training in school, huh? No business training in school. I graduated in, <laughs> of 83 and they did an excellent job in preparing us technically, uh, to be a veterinarian and so forth. And, uh, uh, but, uh, I'm not quite sure what's offered now. But no, when you, now this is back in the day, there was no internet, there were no cell phones. So, you know, you went out, you acquired a location and you, uh, uh, put a landline in and then you waited for the phone to ring. Now we did a few other things is that I was already, uh, 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 engaged in the action of promotion and I was setting out direct mail coupons with Valpac and, uh, I offered, you know, I just started out, I said, Hey, you know, Everyone likes the word free, so I did free exam, free bath, and flea dip, uh, flea treatment. And, uh, you know, that in itself produced quite a response. Uh, I think I even did uh, free house calls. And uh, so when we were done with the shop at night, I'd close up and I'd go out on my house calls and no charge to the client. So we did have an abundance of clients. You know, I'm not sure that it was the best return for me, but it did get me clients. So you learned how to do a little bit of marketing through the school of hard knocks, I would call it, or at least figuring out, like, gee, I better promote because the phone's not going to ring if no one knows I'm here. So what else did you learn that gave you some immediate results in overcoming some of the problems you were facing? Well, uh, one of the things was, and uh, I knew the basic premise in business, which, you know, I'm sure everybody knows, you've got to take, take more in than goes out. Uh, that's a given. Obviously, you, more you customers. <laughs> yeah, you would think, right. And uh, so operating from that premise, uh, I then just uh, decided that, you know, obviously, if I have more customers, that's going to help me with the first one that's going to bring more in. So when I went out for my management program and I started to read some various policies, some of the things that really indicated to me were uh, was uh, that if you reward your people who produce, uh, they will continue to produce and increase. That makes sense to me. If you reward people who don't produce, your people who do produce, your upstack producers, uh, will stop producing. And that also uh, made very good sense to me, meaning that, you know, you've got people who aren't contributing like other people. You can't reward them like you do the other ones. Uh, one of the things uh, through my experience was, uh, you know, several policies uh, that I really, really acted on were uh, a policy on production, and uh, that was uh, produce until the floor case in. And when I read that, I thought to myself, you know what? It would take an awful lot of production. It would take a lot of customers to cave the floor in because my building's on a concrete slab. But I thought, you know what? I'm going to give it a go. And we just did everything possible to get as many people possible into the business. No stops at all. No appointment, anytime, stay late. My, my personal philosophy was never turn anyone away for anything. And uh, we operated off that. And the other thing that really made sense to me was uh, that uh, I studied the, the four levels of exchange, and that being uh, abundance, fair exchange, partial exchange, and then ripoff at the bottom, which, of course, nobody likes. But uh, the thing that really stuck with me was 
is that only exchanging in abundance uh, would you be guaranteed expansion. So uh, the guarantee for expansion is to exchange uh, in abundance with your staff, with your clients. And so from that, uh, uh, I just had a little uh, uh, cognition that, you know what, we're like any, everyone in business, we're going to try and do everything possible to give the owner something a little bit extra, a little bit more than they expected. Uh, and we did a lot of free bath and dips with every service that the dog stayed in, if the pet stayed for a spay or boarding, why they got a free bath and dip before they went home. That was just a solid policy that we had, along with uh, no appointment necessary, everything along those lines. Anything we could do where a person would leave and then down the road talk about us a little bit. You know, I went over to so-and-so and they did this for me. So those are uh, an example of uh, two of the policies uh, that made a lot of sense to me that uh, that I think was uh, crucial in, in me sort of developing a very fundamental, you know, uh, viewpoint toward how I wanted to run the business. All right. So we're talking uh, here about, well, I, I think three things that we need to talk about so far. Number one is there is a system. There are systems that exist that can help a business owner uh, create a viable business. Number two, when you have staff you got to reward those who produce and not those who don't produce. And number three was uh, that exchange in abundance you were talking about, always giving more than what is uh, is asked for. And uh, those are very critical elements, I think, for any small business owner. All of you listening today, you know, take note of that. I know you've heard these these before, but uh, you know, look at how you're applying them in your business right now. And see if there's ways that even that can be improved. Now, now, Mike, give us one more that you found that was was just a game changer for from your training as a veterinarian to being a successful business owner. I'd have to say that one of the single most important things uh, was the uh, uh, ability to hire staff who would uh, exhibit the characteristic of willingness. Now, I had a uh, uh, a friend of mine who was a very successful home builder in San Antonio. And he would bring his little dog in, you know, over the years, and he would look around and he would say, how do you find these people? He goes, they run around like crazy. They all work hard. They're never not working, and they're all super polite. And he looked at me and he said, how do you find them? This is the way we did it. Because one of the policies uh, that I studied up on and read was that there's three types of staff members. There's the willing, the defiantly negative, and the wholly shiftless. Now, I had to look up the words holy and shiftless before I got the full idea, but that's the person who doesn't move. Uh, hopefully, that person never makes it into our organization. But we hired on the characteristic of willingness. We never hired on experience, never, ever. Now, if somebody came who was experienced and they were quite willing, uh, then, of course, you know, we brought that person on board. But we always hired people on the characteristic of willingness. How willing are you to participate in the organization and just help us move forward with what we're doing? Now, we, along with that, we had uh, uh, sort of a, I guess you'd call it maybe a chart of attitudes or something like that. But basically, we always tried to hire somebody who exhibited uh, um, uh, the characteristic of being interested. Minimally, we wanted someone who was interested. You know, not even really conservative, uh, although, you know, many of those were fine people, too, but certainly not the board individual or somebody who just considered work sort of a monotonous activity or something like that. So the, that type of person 
uh, we had to be very careful uh, not to bring on board, or if we did see them, to either handle them or, you know, uh, work something out with them where they right. need on. Right, right. Now, I tell you what, now, we're going to take a little break now for weather and traffic update. And stay tuned, because next we're going to continue talking with Dr. Becker and how he built a $26 million practice and sold it for a premium right up next. Stay tuned for weather and traffic. Hi, this is Christopher Music, host of the Financial Power Hour and creator of the Private Practice Millionaire. I'm a veteran financial expert and best-selling author, and I'm also the founder of the subject of Econologics, which is a results-based financial planning system. After almost 20 years as a practicing financial advisor, I discovered that the missing ingredient in the prosperity of any household is the education and implementation of universally workable strategies. There are correct time-tested laws that have always worked, and I want to share them with you. In 2014, I penned a chapter in the best-selling book with Steve Forbes of Forbes Magazine called Successonomics, Learn the Secrets of Success in the New Economy from Today's Leading Entrepreneurs and Professionals. My chapter summarized the process of how to define and locate your ideal financial advisor so you can achieve financial success. Download the book free at www.pchristophermusic.com. That's www.pchristophermusic.com. ChristopherMusic.com. This is the Financial Power Hour with Prosperity Coach Christopher Music. Make contact at 727 588 1540. And now, here's Christopher Music. All right, folks, we're back. You're listening to the Financial Power Hour here on AM 1380, The Biz. I'm your host, Christopher Music, the creator of Results-Based Financial Planning and the Private Practice Millionaire. And we're here talking with Dr. Mike Becker and what it takes to build a multi-million dollar healthcare practice and sell it successfully. So, Dr. Becker, we were talking about getting employees and how important it was that they were willing. Any, any final thoughts on that? Well, uh, only that um, uh, that is a, a characteristic that I felt was key to our growth and expansion. Because uh, to have an, an organization uh, that expands, that, that grows in size, it's, 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 it's done by the employees. It's done by the staff. And uh, individuals who are willing uh, are those who, who are going to uh, just participate. And uh, it, it just rubs off on everyone else. And so, you know, we have a, a group that's energetic, enthused, and uh, uh, willing to uh, uh, just produce accomplished goals. And it's a lot of fun. That's the, the, everybody wants to go to a place where they they enjoy going to work. So, um, all right. Well, you know, you had expanded. You had uh, done a, a large expansion. Uh, what specific actions do you take to begin to successfully grow when you decided that big expansion? Well, um, it was kind of interesting. Uh, we were in a uh, we had a two thousand square foot facility. It was a thirteen hundred and fifty square foot Conoco station that was built in nineteen forty eight, and I had a couple buildings in back. Um, we went from one of the smallest clinics to a uh, about uh, a uh, twenty two thousand square foot facility uh, one point seven miles away. Uh, we bought two acres on Highway Ten. Uh, we. Built from the ground up a uh, 
specialty uh, designed building for our practice. And um, what I did uh, uh, is I, I put everything possible in place at the old clinic before I moved. Now, one of the things that I did is I, I had hired several consultants, uh, even when we were in the small place. And I very specifically hired a gentleman uh, out from California who would fly out every other week, spend three or four days with us at a hotel. But he would write policy up for us. And and by the time we did move, uh, we had the staff uh, uh, reasonably well-trained, and we had a a, a, a package of policies that covered every aspect of the organization from hiring uh, uh, treasury, production, training, quality control, public relations, executive functions. But we had a written policy that we could work off of. And that, I felt, was very important in making the big jump from the small place to the big place. And we went from... 22 employees, up to 45 employees immediately. And when I sold the practice, we were at 100 employees and, and 12 doctors. Wow. That's a practice, man. <laughs> it was well, really rocking and rolling. Yes, it was. Uh, 22,000 square feet. I think most people who get into a small business or a private practice don't consider of ever getting that big. You know, They just kind of want a place for their, them to practice their own medicine their way if they're in the healthcare field. Uh, fascinating. So I want to come back to the one thing you said that I really want to focus on. Folks, if you're listening, you hear what he said about policy? If you do not have everything in your business written up so that someone else can do it without asking you about it, you will never be free of your practice. Do you know that? I mean, I, in my own business, we, we, we're fiends about getting you know, these policies and procedures written up so other people can do them because your job – listen to this, folks. Your job is to work yourself out of a job. I mean, Mike, you did it beautifully. So can, can you just give us some more insight about the value of policy in your business? Absolutely. And when I sold the practice, we had 24,000 square feet because I had just completed a 2,500-square-foot expansion for treatment. That was absolutely beautiful. But the thing with the policy is I didn't want to move from our little tiny place into this uh, beautiful, uh, huge building right on Highway 10. Uh, without having a, a organizational-based work problem. So we wrote up all of our policy. And the other thing that's very, very important is that every staff member had a check sheet uh, that they followed, a checklist. And this checklist was a list of uh, not every aspect of their job, but the duties that they were expected to perform uh, pretty much on a daily or maybe weekly or twice-weekly basis. But they had a check sheet. They did their check sheet every day. And the check sheet is really just sort of a summary of the policies we had. We also posted our policies throughout the office on all the numerous cabinets that we had so that people could. It was a constant reminder. But we had policy written up, and we had check sheets for everyone, the front desk, the middle technicians, the back senior technicians, the junior technicians, the bath and dip guys, the pet resort people, the pet resort director. Everyone had a sequential uh, list of items to do. And then it was simply just doing the items, and that's all we had to do. We would tweak these all the, all the time, and we would, we would add, we'd subtract, we'd rework uh, in the same with our policies. 
The other thing we did is I, in the past three years at the practice, I went all out and hired professional consultants to train the staff and doctors. And that was one of the key things that led to our final expansion that allowed me to really, you know, take the practice over the top. Can I ask how much you spent on training? We would spend, uh, we had three consultants that came out uh, the past three years. Uh, and uh, uh, our primary consultant came out every other month, six times a year, and we paid him $28,000 a visit. And he came out for two days. And he flew out, and he brought at least one person with him, sometimes a third. The third person was sort of the medical software expert because we had a complex medical software system, Cornerstone. And she would direct the staff and the doctors on how to use the Cornerstone. Never would have mastered this without her. And we we ended up using about 90 to 95% of the Cornerstone functions uh, at the time that I sold the practice, including electronic whiteboards all over the walls. But... But Mr. Opperman, that was his name, uh, he and his uh, associate would come out. And what we did was we we flowed, we basically admired our staff. That's the only way I can put it. And we spent this money. We would have Mr. Opperman and his associate meet with the doctors on a one-on-one basis, review video footage from the exam room so that they could hack and coach up the doctor on Everything from human relations to this is uh, how you sell your treatment plan to everything, your interaction with the staff in the room. But uh, in doing this, uh, and they would train the staff too, and we'd bring the, the staff upstairs for the in the conference room for the seminars and so forth. And uh, but uh, uh, in flowing this sort of attention uh, to the staff and to the doctors. Uh, it really created uh, an environment uh, that kept us ahead of the curve and that the doctors uh, uh, and the staff really started to win in every aspect of their job. And, of course, you know, when you're trained on your job, this is an information that you can walk out of the building with and use in everyday life, too. So uh, our other consultants, uh, we would spend anywhere from uh, eight to twelve thousand dollars a visit. We would have sales and human relations. We would have a gentleman who was... Uh, uh, headed up uh, a business college in Los Angeles, would come out and speak in, in general terms of organization and administration. Uh, again, and, you know, a lot of interaction with the clients and with the staff and sort of including everyone so that you work as a group and so forth. So that was a key aspect to taking the practice to another level in order to sell it. You all hear that? He $28,000 for two days. And people look at that and say, oh, that's expensive. Oh, my gosh. I can't imagine paying that kind of money to a consultant. Well, the bottom line is this, folks. If you're, paying, if you're, if you're going to pay $28,000 and you're generating $280,000 more in revenue every single year thereafter because of what you learned or put in systematically into your business – uh, during that time, what kind of return is that? That's a 10 to one return in the year one and over a career is an infinite return. And yet we are concerned about, you know, um, not getting our money's worth. Well, you know, I, I, I'm also a business consultant, uh, certified business consultant. That's not what I do professionally. I'm a financial advisor first and foremost, but I have counseled thousands 
of private practice professionals over the years. And the number one issue I see is just a lack of willingness to invest in training and getting correct consulting, correct consulting for a business because it just pays so much return. Uh, Mike, can you venture to even guess what kind of returns you got on the consulting fees you spent over your career? Millions. 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 We we were doing thirteen million plus a year when I sold the business over a million a month, and uh, I would never consider running the business without the intense consultation that we were engaged in. And other people looked at it. I had uh, three buyers who looked at the practice, and they just said, "Nobody spends money on consultants like you do." And I said, "That's fine." I said, "But this is this is what works. We found this is what works for us." And this is how we have a $13 million a year practice uh, (laughs) on Highway 10 that we were paid two times the gross for. That is, let's come back to that. Two times. That's even, that's much better than I did. I, uh, I got twice the average market value. So I I guess I did okay when I sold my practice. Um, And I had built it on a system and built it to sell and turn it over to, to my associate. And he just kept right on going. And I know that's what you did with yours. So you got twice the gross. Twice the gross and 13 twice times EBITDA, 13 times the basically the number that considered like the profit for the business. Yeah, the profit. Yeah, however it was calculated. Okay, that's that is just awesome. And that is awesome. I think if people are listening to us say, how in the world could that happen? Well, you know, I've seen it happen where we've we've uh, seen offers from companies because the buyer, listen, guys, listen to what I'm saying here. If you're looking at building value in your business, the buyer is going to pay for your business the level of income that they're going to predict to get from that business relative to the risk they have to assume to get that income. So if they perceive a low level of risk in getting that income, they're going to pay you more for it. And Mike, obviously you figured that out because for someone to offer you 13 times earnings uh, for a, a $13 million practice, they obviously considered that the level of income that they were going to get was highly predictable and highly consistent based on the fact that you handled or mitigated most of the risk that they would have seen in comparable practices. Would that be a fair assessment? Exactly. And I'll touch on that. That one, uh, I was not involved in, in the production of the practice. I made house calls when I was in town. I was in and out of town a lot. When I was in town, I would go out and make a house call. But other than that, I was not down on the production floor or anything else. So this was all done without me directly involved. Secondly, when the company who bought us, which is a a major publicly traded company, the vice president walked through, and uh, an hour later at uh, uh, dinner, he said, yours is one of the top 5% of practices that I've seen, and I've toured hundreds or thousands. Now he quickly changed that to top to the top five or ten percent because we hadn't closed the deal yet. <laughs> he was talking his his price higher. But he did remark, he said, you know, uh, your staff are all organized, they're very polite, and he said, you know, I can just tell that this is very well run. And it's because we had a system in place and it's because we trained our staff. We further uh, uh, facilitated the system 
by bringing in consultants who trained the staff. When the consultants came in, it totally took it off my shoulders. I didn't have to do staff training, worry about it, direct my executives to do staff training. We had our professional consultants do it. As well as now, I want to add that I trained myself, too. I intensely trained myself over the years. And by doing that, I was able to then recognize what I needed to do to get things up to a level to where we could bring the consultants in. Yeah, you know, uh, after the break here, I, I want to touch on the fact that you trained yourself. Folks, uh, we're going to take a quick break, and up next, we're going to be wrapping up our interview with um, Dr. Mike Becker. And we're going to ask him for his personal advice and tips to start implementing into your business right away. And I think you're going to find that this training yourself is going to be something we're going to be talking about. So stay tuned. You're not going to want to miss the end of this interview. Hi, this is Christopher Music, host of the Financial Power Hour and creator of the Private Practice Millionaire. I'm a veteran financial expert, best-selling author, and the founder of the subject of Econologics, which is a results-based financial planning system. After almost 20 years as a practicing financial advisor, I discovered that the missing ingredient in the prosperity of any household is the education and implementation of universally workable strategies. There are correct, time-tested laws that have always worked, and I want to share them with you. In 2013, I penned a chapter in the best-selling book, More Better. The world's leading experts reveal how to get more out of business and life with better results. This chapter, called the 10 Maxims of the Private Practice Millionaire, is a summary of the most important actions to take to ensure success in private practice. Download the book free at www.pchristophermusic.com. That's www.pchristophermusic.com. Welcome back to the Financial Power Hour with Christopher Music, online at pchristophermusic.com. Well, hey, welcome back, everyone. This is Christopher Music, the creator of the Private Practice Millionaire, and you're listening to the Financial Power Hour here on AM 1380, The Biz. We got our rock star in the house, Dr. Mike Becker, and uh, I'd like to thank him for spending time with us, sharing his knowledge about how to build a $26 million veterinary practice, if you can believe it. Now, Mike, before the break, we talked about the fact that you trained yourself. Please elaborate for everyone listening. Well, um, I found uh, that during uh, my initial uh, consultation, uh, way back in the early days, that uh, the practice was contingent upon me. Uh, it was my business, whether it's a professional practice or whatever it is. Uh, the business owner is the person that is going to be source for everything else that everything flows from. And uh, with that being said, uh, I just uh, trained myself with consultants who would come out to the practice, and I also uh, left the practice, and I would go to various uh, facilities and, and engage in seminars, classroom training, uh, all kinds of drilling. But I did this uh, literally from probably 20, 25 years, from 1991 uh, up until I sold the practice in uh, 2017. Uh, in fact, um, I was, at the time I sold the practice in uh, January 31st, 2017, I'd been gone uh, four months straight uh, on a training program. And um, it was through the training that I was able to stabilize myself as an individual and also gain the specifics to be able to organize and so forth. And when I organized and became an administrator, I could pass these duties on to other people. I, I found a key individual, my GM, 
who uh, trained also, and all my staff trained, all my key executives trained, uh, in and out of the office. Uh, and I would fly people out to L.A. You know, there was uh, a training facility in L.A., and I'd pack them up. They'd go out there, stay at the hotel. They thought it was great. They'd hit the beach on the weekends. and uh, But they got trained. I would bring people in, and we would conduct many, many seminars with the staff involving uh, not just uh, imparting the information, but drilling so that it could be applied. And uh, when people left our upstairs conference room, uh, they would go downstairs on the floor, what we called it, the production floor, and they would apply at the front desk and the exam rooms in the back with all the treatment surgeries. And uh, so it was really the training, the training of, of myself that allowed me to engage the rest of the staff to be trained. But uh, more than anyone, I trained, I put more time in on myself because I knew that, uh, you know, I was responsible uh, in any event and uh, that I had to be the one that uh, I was the one that other people were relying on. So I trained myself and trained myself and trained myself. Again, I applied the uh, principle of abundance and uh, I I did way more training than I ever thought was possible because I didn't want to fall short. Well, that's so important for all of you to really understand as a business owner, you know, if you want to be successful in private practice, which is the area that I, I tend to work in, there's three roles, you know, there's a practitioner for which you've been trained, but if you want to make money and be successful, you have to be a great executive or administrator and be able to manage people and manage processes. And you got to be a good owner, uh, a good entrepreneur and a good professional investor. And those, that's the basis of the private practice millionaire, um, that program that I put together. And, you know, Mike is a great example of how vital it is to train yourself and be a good example for your staff and be competent in what you do. I just, Mike, I really, really thank you for, for saying that. So if you could sum up your success, what advice would you give a private practice professional or a small business owner regarding management that they could start doing right now today? Regarding management, uh, I would find a system. Uh, the system uh, that I used worked great. I would find that system and I would train myself. Uh, and then I would apply those principles in, in surrounding yourself uh, with staff members who have similar viewpoints that are willing to expand the practice. Uh, and uh, I would, I never worried really about making the money. And we actually operated at a lower margin maybe than most businesses, but we did so much business that the overall result was very good. But by my, my emphasis was on uh, developing the staff uh, and uh, myself as competent individuals. And the other thing that I'll add is I spent uh, $450,000 a year just on Google advertising, over 1000 a day, seven days a week. So we did two things. We advertised as massively as we could on the Internet and with grocery store coupons to get people in the door. Then I had my trained staff who were able to handle that flow. And by training the staff, we were able to handle a flow that was many, many more times, I feel, than what one would normally expect. And that resulted in great success. That is awesome. And I think it's a good testament to the fact of training you and your staff to have a $26 million practice selling for twice the gross revenue, 13 times earnings. That is just an awesome result that you got by doing all those things. You are, Mike, a rock star for sure. So thanks so much for being on the show today and sharing your your experience and your knowledge with everyone. 
Well, thank you very much for having me, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks so much. So, okay, folks, that's time now to take some action. I want you to grab a pen and paper and write down this website, www.practicetransitionassessment.com. That's www.practicetransitionassessment.com. This is a 10-minute questionnaire. It's a comprehensive assessment on your readiness to transition your professional practice uh, or even a small business in in that case for maximum transition value to a buyer. And typically what most happens is uh, people who take that questionnaire tend to realize that they are not ready to transition a business for maximum value. So I invite you to go on there, take that questionnaire, and uh, one of my staff will sit down with you and go over the results with you and, and give you some guidance on what you can do right away to increase your value in your business, get hooked up with a system that works so that you can train yourself and your staff to create a tremendous private practice experience or small business experience. So finally, the financial position you find yourself in today is your indicator on how well you have understood and applied the 21 laws of prosperity. And there are basic principles of prosperity that have been repeated over and over again by the greatest minds in history. Now, I've studied these fundamental laws and uh, summarized them in a body of knowledge I put together called the 21 Laws of Financial Prosperity Action Guide. I'd like you to visit my website at www.pchristophermusic.com. That is P as in Paul, christophermusic.com, and download that action guide. It is a wonderful attack on these 21 laws that will create financial abundance for you and your family. Also, visit www.financialpowerhour.com to get previous episodes of this talk. I wish you the very best. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Financial Power Hour. For more information on prosperity principles and how to apply them to your life and your business, visit Christopher's personal website at pchristophermusic.com or connect with him on Facebook at facebook.com slash pchristophermusicauthor. You may also call Christopher's office at 727-588-1540 to request more information or arrange for him to be a guest speaker at your next event. That's 727-588-1540 or visit pchristophermusic.com.